you about. Uh, this may be the last time you hear about this one for a while, but the Martinez family, who we are continuing to minister to, Megan passed away uh, about a month and a half ago, five weeks ago, and we've committed as a church to just provide meals for them, to take care of them, uh, Felix and the girls, uh, through the end of the year. Um, so some of you have already stepped in and it's been really a glorious thing to watch and see. Thank you. Um, you can sign up online. I think that information is still in your worship guide. Um, so please, 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 you can take a gift card or a meal. Just sign up so that they know what's coming and when it's coming. And then covenant membership class. <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. We start next week and the week after. It's before church. Uh, this is how you become a member here. There's no other way. Um, this is how you do it. So we would love to have you. If you just have questions about our church, or you're wondering, like, really who we are, all that, just come to the classes. They'll answer most of what you need to know, okay? Um, sign up so we can plan for you. We're going to have breakfast for you, plan for your kids, breakfast for your family, all that. Um, but we need to know you're coming, so please sign up for that, okay? Um, so again, we're going to be kind of wrapping up this idea of love does, um, that Christian love isn't just... A warm feeling. It's not just something that we even say back to God. God, I love you. Um, that if God loves us and we love God, Christian love does things. Christian love is motivated to go out and to take that love with us uh, into the world. Whatever bit of humanity we get to rub shoulders with every day, um, Christian love does um, for those people. So we're kind of wrapping up that, uh, that study um, this, this morning over the last several weeks and that emphasis so we can be reminded and encouraged to go out with the love of God. So we're wrapping that up today um, as we get into 2 Timothy. So uh, I'm going to start somewhere and then it's going to take it. So just hang with me for just a second, okay? Um, we have, I think humans have this inherent desire and need motivation something that's subconscious maybe even primordial that uh, wants to live forever there is something in us that knows that death is the enemy um, that knows something's wrong um, have you ever been this may sound really odd but have you ever been to a funeral and when you're at that funeral you're like this is just wrong this is wrong there, there's something wrong with the idea of death you know what I'm saying um, and there's something deep inside of us that recognizes that this is all broken and wrong and that there's some hope or idea of life beyond the grave that goes on forever. Um, and there's just something in us that's driven to, that uh, drives us toward that. Now, I would say the way that in, in modern culture, modern pop culture, that that gets uh, expressed a lot of times is in you know, our movies and our books, we've had this fascination, this obsession um, over the last 20 years with uh, vampires and other fictional supernatural beings that have this eternal life. The bad guy in Doctor Strange, that was his whole motivation. He wanted to live forever. Um, I, I think you see it, and that's just a few. We could really go on and on about all the pop references in our culture about eternal life and living forever. Um, in Western thought, some of our oldest writers, philosophers, thinkers have been uh, writing about and investigating this idea of living forever in the 300s. So 300, not three, 300, 3,000, 13, 300s, okay? 1,900 years ago, so 1,800 years ago, there was a philosopher in northern, uh, uh, actually he was in southern um, Egypt, and his name was Zosimos. And he wrote the first existing, the, the, the copy that we have, the existing copy we have um, of alchemy. I'm not going to get into what alchemy is. It's kooky. Um, but he wrote the first uh, 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 like a textbook regarding alchemy that we have. 
he writes about the chemist's and alchemist's dream of finding out how to make um, base elements come together to create what's called the philosopher's stone. And the philosopher's stone would give the bearer of that stone eternal life. And he dedicated his life to finding out how to do that, how to make this element that would give someone eternal life. If you're a Harry Potter nerd, raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. If you're, okay, there, be, own it, okay? Harry Potter fans, the first book was not the Sorcerer's Stone. The first book was called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. We changed it when it came to America, but the British version of it is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And in that story, there is a Philosopher's Stone that the bearer of it gets eternal life. It's all over everything that we're doing. In world history, uh, human history, if we take the Bible literally for what it says about where we began, what was in the center of the garden? Tree of life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of eternal life. So even in our earliest version of humanity, we have this thing where we know that we're created to live forever. And there's something in us that's driving us to have this desire to continue on when we're gone. This got really weird. British Telecom, which is the largest uh, British telecommunications firm in the world, um, and they're not just in Britain, but that's where they're based. They have an entire division of people with PhDs called futurists. They have a futurist division. And in this division, they, these people who are super educated try to predict the future. They're only right about 8% of the time, which actually isn't bad. I mean, I wish a weatherman could be that good, right? <laughs> so they have this whole division where they're driven toward uh, figuring out the, the future. Dr. Ian Pearson, he gave an interview two years ago. He says that by 2050, we might very well gain the ability to live forever. By 2050, we might actually vary. And he's like, well, how do you do that? Well, renewable body parts, which is really creepy, okay? Renewable body parts. We could live on our consciences with AI, the development of AI. We could potentially download our consciousness into a computer. Too many bad science fiction movies have gone there, right? Horrible things. We could download our consciousness. Now, there's the soul question, what happens to your soul, which we could get into. Maybe you're not really alive, but he thinks that. And then android bodies, where you're taking brains and putting them in artificial bodies, right? 2050. This sounds like science fiction. It sounds like really bad science fiction. But we are on the cusp of doing some of these things that we haven't asked whether we should or not. We are definitely getting to the point where we can. Should we? The human desire to live on, to what lengths will we go? We're already cryogenically freezing heads just in case. You know that? That's gross. We're already doing that. Just in case there's an opportunity to bring them back later. There is this desire for us to live on when we are gone. We are desperate to live forever. There are psychologists who say that, that one of the base motivations for people to have children is that we will live on through them. That there's this subconscious, unconscious, biological urge, not just to have kids, but so that they would take on our characteristics, our values, our morals, and our principles, and they would live on when we leave. So even just this baseline idea of having children seems to be rooted in this desire to live forever. So we do that through our children, we pass on our values and our characteristics, and we literally kind of exist through them for generations. 
right? My mom, I was with my mom. She had hip replacement surgery a couple weeks ago. I went to see her, and I was doing something or saying something, and she just stopped, and she said, that is just like my daddy. That is just like your granddad, what you just said. We take on characteristics, don't we? And values and morals, and we continue to live them on, and you can see them in future generations. And so what we, we live on and what we sort of pass on to people um, that's been our greatest hope, honestly, for the kind of physical eternal life that many of us might be interested in. We leave behind, uh, and what continues on, we leave that in people. Now, in Christianity, we, don't, we shouldn't have just this base human, you know, biological desire to live physically for eternity. We can experience this in the church. We can experience this in mentoring and in leadership and in discipleship. There is this definitely a biblical idea that what we have, we give it to someone else, and it continues for generation after generation after generation. Children's 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 children. That's all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Now, the real question then comes for us, if I'm not going to be able to avoid an android body anytime soon, but I can try to pass myself on to somebody else, and everybody can do that, we should then ask ourselves, well, how is the church doing in that? If it's a biblical principle, a biblical idea that we would pass on our character and moral and values to successive generations. How are we doing in that? 2009, Barna Research released a survey and they titled it, Christianity is no longer America's default faith. Some of his conclusions from uh, dealing with about 5,000, I think 7,500, 5,000 respondents. He says this about modern American Christianity. It's defined by individualism, choosing aspects of Bible and doctrine that are deemed helpful and then discarding the rest. In other words, Christianity is ultimately about me, my needs, my desires, and whatever part of Christianity is most utilitarian and helps me the most, I keep it, then I reject the rest of it. Modern American Christianity is full of contradictions that feel right. Just come into Sanctus one night and just ask, talk to some of these kids, and you'll see it. They, they, they're very open about it. It's how they see the world. Full of contradictions that feel right. Things like, I can trust in Jesus, and that's how you get to heaven, but good morals and good actions can also get to heaven. Those are mutually exclusive ideas, but Christians are walking around as if both of them are equally true. Modern American Christianity is mostly syncretism. I'm not going to get into it, but it's where you approach your belief system like a grocery store, and you got a little bit of Eastern mysticism, and a little bit of Anglicanism, and a little bit of Methodism, and a little bit of Baptistism, whatever, Baptist tree, <laughs> Baptist belief, a uh, little bit of orthodoxy, a little bit of grandma's juju that she taught you in the kitchen, <laughs> right? And you mash it all together, and that's our version of Christianity. We have a very syncretistic uh, view of Christianity. Modern American Christianity says personal, this is where we come down, personal faith and beliefs are almost not at all about truth, but about self-dialogue, self-reflection, opinion, emotions, and culturally adopted viewpoints. Most modern American Christianity is, how do I feel about that? How does my closest group of people tell me I should feel about that? Not truth. Truth isn't even in our discussion anymore. We're just talking about how it basically, how can I use it, and how does it make me feel? We are not passing on. Mom and dad, we can go, oh, MTV, ruin the world. You know, we can just be all ticked off at modern culture as much as we want to. But at the end of the day, we are not passing on a truth and a vibrant form of Christianity that can withstand the, modern, the pressures of the modern world. 
That's on us. We're not giving our children a view of Christianity that can stand up under the pressures of modern world, of the modern world. Now, that's not just truth-based information, is it? Because basically what that means is, I think our kids are seeing us say something while we're here with everything, sing the song, but at home, it's not with everything. And what we're doing in church isn't translating into our living room. And our kids see that, right? So they reject it. This is the state of modern American Christianity. If we have this desire to live on, to pass along our character, values, and morals when we leave, how are we doing at it? Not really good. Not, not very good. Not a great job at doing that. We are passing through this life. We are briefly passing through this life. What will we leave behind? What are you going to pass on to the next group of people who are here when you're gone? What part of you will be left when your soul and your spirit go on to the next part of existence? There's those people that are closest to us. What part of me will be in those people that are closest to me? There's our church world, those people that I get to come here and worship with and kind of live life with. What's going to be left in them and our church world when we go? And then I would just say sort of historical Christianity. How will the Christian kingdom of God be impacted when I'm gone? What will I leave behind? What am I passing on in these three areas? So that's kind of what we're going to look at today in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy as Timothy, as Paul, uh, is addressing him with the idea of passing on his faith. So look in, in a 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands." This is the very end of Paul's life. He's written other letters from prison before. This is it. Matter of fact, it's a different kind of imprisonment. Uh, it's the first two times he was in prison, it was like house prison, and he just had a guy standing at the door, and he could have visitors and guests and kind of go about his life on a daily routine. Now he is in a dungeon prison. He is chained. Um, he uh, has no, all restrictions have been placed on his life, and he knows that Based on who the emperor is, it's Nero, he knows that death is imminent. He will die, and he will die shortly after writing this letter, actually. He knows that those days are here, so this is the end for him. It's his last letter. This is the last thing Paul writes, and he writes it to young Timothy. Um, he loves him. He's already poured a lot into him. Um, and here again, at the end, he is trying to pour something in to Timothy here at the end of his life. Now, I think like Paul in his condition, if you think about being in prison and you know it's the end, it seems like it would be easier at that point for sure to just let our Christian lives be about ourselves. 
to just let my experience with God be about me, to make sure that I'm doing okay and that everything's okay in my little circle. I don't know if I'm going to write a letter, my last letter, to a friend of mine who I may love dearly. I might write it to Mindy, or I might write it to my kids, or I might write it to my grandkids. I can't believe I said that word, <laughs> right? I might write letters to them, but I don't know if I'm going to write a letter to somebody else. It'd be so easy at this point just to withdraw and have everything be about me being okay and my world being okay. It takes maturity and purpose to think about the mission that God has given to each of us and to remember that we are all on a line and we're going forward on that line. Everybody's moving forward on that line and that we are supposed to spend our lives using our gifts to burn just as brightly as we can and to pass that flame on to other people. It'd be easy for Paul to forget that right here, just like it's easy for us every day to kind of forget that and to slip into Christianity's about me being comfortable. It's about me being right with God. It's about me knowing that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. In the past, Paul has called Timothy out and has laid his hands on him. My dad used to lay his hands on me, but I don't think it's the same thing, right? <laughs> totally different. <laughs> but he lays his hands on Timothy and uh, blesses him and calls him out. And you think about Timothy, and I think the reason that Paul remembers that day, calls that day back into uh, memory, you know, what a monumental time that had to be for Timothy. What an important day that had to be for Timothy to have the Paul. I don't know if he had his name tag that would say the Paul. You know what I'm saying? Not just any Paul. Have the Paul put his hands on him and just proclaim over him something like this. My young friend, over all of your doubts and using all of the difficulties and challenges in your life, God has a plan to use you and to give hope to you and life through you to many, many people through the truth of the gospel. That had to be something like what Paul said to him when he laid his hands on him that day, and he calls that back. So I would say, you know, as a church, we do this. We send people out. We bless them. We call them up. We pray over them. We send out missionaries. We support people who go on uh, as missionaries and on mission trips and things like that. Um, people who have given themselves and their possessions and their fortunes and their future to serving other people, to giving the gospel away for their whole lives. But you know what I would just say, man, that's great, and I'm glad we do, and we'll never stop doing that. We want to be ascending church. But could you write that letter to someone? Remember when I laid my hands on you, and I prayed a blessing over you, and I sent you out to do something that's bigger than either one of us might have ever imagined? I know you've had challenges in life, and I know you've had things that you never would have wished came your way, and you wanted things to be different, but God is going to use all of that in your life to bless other people. Is there someone you can pray that over, that you have prayed that over, that you have that kind of influence in, that you're pouring yourself into, and you're sending them out, blessing them with the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're going to carry on when you're gone? Do you have that kind of testimony? Could you write that in a letter to somebody? I think that's the challenge, one of the challenges here for us. Paul isn't the only person. He's poured into Timothy, but he's not the only person. Uh, one of the rare places we get names in Scripture and one of the rare places we get names of women in Scripture. But Paul calls out specifically uh, two women in his lives, right? His mother and his grandmother. It's odd and very interesting, and I think it should give us all hope that potentially um, his grandmother and mother were raising Timothy. That's very, very probable. 
that they were the primary giver, caretakers and raisers of Timothy. So here, I, this just made me think about this. So I'm just going to speak this out this morning. If you're a single mom or a single dad, for whatever reason, however that came about, if you're a grandparent and you're the primary spiritual influencer in your family, I want to tell you this, man. Don't give up. Persevere with a plan and with trust that God has a, a future for that child. Don't parent to influence, or don't, sorry, don't parent or influence them just to survive. Sometimes that's the temptation when we're single parents or grandparents that are, that are, that are the single most important spiritual influencers. We're just surviving. Don't parent to survive. You are gonna leave something behind, someone behind. Influence them for Jesus while you can. Paul comes back to Ephesus. This is in Ephesus. He comes back to Ephesus and he's looking for somebody with a good reputation. He's looking for a godly man, somebody who's gonna help the church at Ephesus, guide and direct and pastor the church in Ephesus. And it's Timothy, this young man from maybe a single parent household whose influence, primary influence were his mother and his grandmother. And they have passed on a vibrant faith to Timothy. God had big plans for Timothy to use him in incredible ways, but here's what's interesting about that. And you'd be encouraged by that. Lois and Eunice didn't know that. When Timothy's running their house, around the house like a crazy man at six years old, they don't know that. They just have to pour, consistently persevere to pour godliness into this little boy. When he's a young man, a curious teenager, maybe overly curious teenager, they don't know what God's plan is for him. They just have to be faithful to pour into him a faith that matters. When he's a headstrong young man, they don't know that Paul is later going to call him to replace Paul as the head of the church in Ephesus. They have no idea. But they can pour into this young man godly character, godly values, a living, vibrant faith that matters at home and at church and in the workplace. Their mission was to prepare Timothy to live out his mission. Single moms, single dads, grandparents as influencers you have a mission and your mission is to influence that child for their mission whatever it is that God has for them amen parents can we just hear that that's what you're supposed to be doing your mission is to pour into that child so that they can fulfill the mission that God has for them they're just being faithful to their mission of being a godly mother and a godly grandmother they didn't set out from day one for their child to take over for Paul. They just wanted to leave something behind that honored the Lord. Someone who reflected godliness. Amen? And they did it well. So be encouraged by that. Paul's like, take this gift, Timothy. You've been gifted. Things that I've done in you, for you. Things that your mother and your grandmother have done in you and for you. They've given you this spark of life and this little glowing ember of faith. And he's like, fan it into a flame, Timothy. Take this gift that's been given you and kindle it afresh. Fan it into a flame. How does it happen where, where that, fame, that flame goes away? Because we've all sort of probably experienced the, the flame of faith waning over time and diminishing over time. How does that happen? Well, you neglect it. You don't feed it. You don't take care of it. You think about a fire. If you've been a campfire, right? It doesn't just burn on its own all night long. You have to take care of it. You have to tend the fire. So we don't take care of it, we neglect it. Um, it's hard work, it's difficult, 
to maintain your faith because life is hard, right? And it seems like even though this is a brief moment of time, it seems like it's taking forever to get there. And it's hard work to fan the flame and it seems like that's the work for a young man to do or a young woman to do and I'm tired and I'm comfortable. Third thing, I would say this, I don't want to get into it too hard, but it's really a lack of the filling of the Holy Spirit. I think that's a daily experience we can have with God. And when I'm not filled with the Spirit, the Spirit, and I try to do good things in my flesh, it becomes works, and I fail, and I get tired, so I quit. So it's a lack of being filled up on a daily basis, a regular basis, with the Holy Spirit. And my flame of faith just fades away. It diminishes. And it's easy to just get tired of maintaining your spiritual life. That is so easy to happen, uh, for that to happen to us. We have to fan the flame of loving Jesus, the joy of the Lord, the gifts of God. And you know, there's a very particular thing that Paul is talking to him about. He says, fan that flame, Timothy, that spark, and make it burn bright again. What's he talking about? In this context, he's talking specifically about serving other people. Even as a young man, it seems like Timothy's getting worn down because he's a young man. He says, Timothy, don't let anybody look down at you because you're young right? So it seems like some of the older people in the church might be just hammering on this kid, right? Because he's young, taking advantage of him, and he's tired of it. He knows, and he's tired of it already. And he's like, man, fan that into a flame. You're supposed to be serving other people. Give yourself away to these people. So here's my question. What is your ministry for other people? Have you neglected it? Are you tired of it? Man, I have given, and I've given, and I've given, and I've done, and I've done, and I've done, and I'm just tired Fan it into a flame. Fan it into a flame. You've been gifted and called and somebody in the past laid hands on you and sent you out to do great things and God put a call on your life and it's just, the flame's gone down for lots of reasons. Fan it back into a bonfire again in your heart by the power of the church. This is what Paul appeals to. By the power of the church, the power of God, fan it into a flame. We're not, I think we read it in a second, but in verse nine, Paul says, listen, God's got an eternal plan that includes you and your calling and your gifts, Timothy. And I would say the same thing to you. God's got some eternal plan, and he says, we don't understand it. We don't even know where it goes, Paul says. But what we do know is that it includes you and your calling and your gifts. Fan it into a flame. Serve other people. Give yourself away to others. God's got something he wants to do with you. Don't let that flame go out. So that's Paul's encouragement to Timothy and I think also to us verse 6 through 9 we read verse 6 he says for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for God has not given us a spirit of timidity but of power and love and discipline therefore don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me his prisoner but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with the holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity this all sounds very difficult and time consuming and uncomfortable how am I supposed to serve people like this how am I when I'm tired and worn out and that flame is just going away in my heart how am I supposed to serve people like that listen God calls all of us to do things that are beyond our natural capabilities. He calls all of us to do things in life that go beyond what I've got to give. I don't have anything else to give here. I can't go on. I can't be that main spiritual influencer in their lives anymore. I'm tired. 
I can't get up and serve that person anymore. I am tired. I can't get up and do good things in a bad, evil world anymore. I'm tired. I don't know how to keep doing these things that I'm supposed to do if it just relies on me. God calls all of us to serve in places and in ways that go way beyond our natural abilities. And in reality, we would rather just serve God where we're comfortable anyway. So it's hard already, and then there's something in us that's like, God, I really want you to fill me up, but I want you to fill me up where I'm comfortable. God, I want you to use me, but I want you to use me where I'm comfortable. I know, God, you've got a mission for people, and I would love to serve you, but I'd really rather do it on Sunday mornings at church. That'd be great. Or maybe from my couch, which would be even better, in my living room. If you could fill me up to serve you there, that'd be awesome. Because, God, I really don't want to be nervous or uncomfortable or ignorant or have to sacrifice anything. So, God, once you figure out how I can serve you, let me know. And you're on the clock because it's 1130, so you've got 30 more minutes, God. And God goes, wow, I have a world that needs you. I've got a plan that includes you. I've gifted you to go out and impact the world for me. And you're going to tell me when, and you have all the conditions already set for how that's going to happen. What a selfish, weak, wasted life that ends when I end. That life ends the minute I end. Francis Chan says it this way, I am quoting this entire time, so don't be angry at me. I don't want my life to be explainable without God. I want people to look at my life and know that I couldn't be doing this by my own power. I want to live in such a way that I am desperate for him to come through. That if he doesn't come through, I'm screwed. I deeply desire that the Spirit of God would do things that I know are not of me and cannot be faked or accounted for by human reason. I don't believe God wants me or any of his children to live in a way that makes sense from the world's perspective. Did you hear that? I don't think God wants for me or any of his children to live life in such a way that makes sense from the world's perspective. A way that I know that I can manage. I believe that God is calling me and all of us to depend on him alone for living in a way that cannot be mimicked or forged. Holy Spirit, let me leave a legacy of being spirit-led. You want to leave something behind for people in your lives? You want to live forever in power through people that you leave behind? Be a spirit-led person. Do incredible. Now, incredible things could be, Mom, you just get up and love your kids tomorrow. Sometimes that's incredible, all right? And you can't drudge that up from inside yourself because they're little heathens, Amen. Doctrine of original sin is alive and well. Just have children, all right? And it's tough to love these little kids sometimes, man. And in power of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, let me love well in my home. Fill me with the power of God so that my kids know when I should have blown my stack, I didn't, and it wasn't because I'm good. It's because I lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? It's just these simple daily expressions of the power of God in our lives. And let me live in a way that can't be explained. And pass that on to your children. They'll live with life and faith, right? And courage, because they've seen what the power of the Spirit does in our lives. We want to pass that on to our kids verse th- and other people in our lives. Verse 13, he says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus, 
guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you and in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. By the way, I'm glad Onesiphorus is only in the text one time. But when he is in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well the services that he rendered at Ephesus. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to leave behind? He lists all these people by name, and he says, these people left me. This guy really ministered to me. But he says, you know, like, what are, what are we supposed to give to these people? We talked about being led by the Holy Spirit. What else? Well, he starts out, the first thing he says is doctrine, right thinking, truth. We probably need to put it in truth form now, but it's truth, real truth discernible, knowable, measurable truth. Pass that on. Hold on to clear doctrine, biblical teaching. The plainest reading of Scripture that meshes and, and coincides with the whole teaching in Scripture like God actually said it. Pass that on. That there is a clear teaching from God that gives life doctrine that is true and knowable, that will guide you through every point in life. Pass that on on as if God actually spoke it he actually preserved his words and we can know them and it can change your life every day that's good doctrine good doctrine is not just knowing uh, good theology it's good theology that changes your life every day right that's the only theology that really matters that you know rightness and wrongness and right thinking about God then it changes how you live every day pass on good doctrine that's the first thing he says. Second thing he says is guard the gospel. Guard the gospel. Pass on the gospel. And you're like, well, that's weird. I mean, that's not even hard. Most of us who don't even know Jesus in the room, you're not even a follower of Christ. You probably know the gospel. We are sinners. Christ came and he died on a cross and he raised from the dead. It's Easter time, right? Um, and, and he came up from the dead and if you pray or believe in him and he'll get you to God like that's kind of the gospel we get that why is he telling us to guard the gospel because I think it's so much more than that right the gospel isn't good news for me when I was 12 when I decided to respond to the gospel the good news of the gospel is good news for me today right now so what does that look like you get home after a bad day with Captain Jerkboss that's his name Captain Jerkboss and your kids are freaking out, and mom is losing your mind, and you yell at them, and then you eat a half gallon of Bluebell Rocky Road ice cream. Where's the gospel in that story? That's our common experience, because we laughed. But where's the gospel in that day, and in that experience? So let's rewind it just a little bit. You yell, you eat too much, you drink too much, you watch too much on, you binge watch everything you can think of, friends again, right? <laughs> you eat some more, and you're thinking, I deserve this. Or, I worked really hard today. Or, this makes me feel really good. Or, this numbs the pain. Where's the gospel? In my inner thoughts, what's going on in my heart? Where's the gospel? Why are we responding to stress like that? Why are we giving ourselves permission to respond distress by binge eating or losing our self-control by yelling at people by drinking too much why are we finding our comfort in those things instead of God 
You know what the first step of the gospel is? Repent. The very first part of the gospel, you know the first sermon Jesus printed is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first piece of the gospel is to stop and go, this is bad. This is wrong. This is hurtful. I'm hurting them and I'm hurting me. And the very first part of the gospel is to stop and to repent. So our, we say to our hearts, stop it. And we say to ourselves, God is better than this. And this is whatever I just did. God is better than that food. He's better than that porn. He's better than what's on the computer. He's better than the binge watching. He's better than the binge eating. He's better than yelling at people. God is better than that. That's good news. That's the gospel. Stop. Repent. I'm doing something wrong. Remind yourself of the good news of the gospel. God is better than this. Jesus has already secured my hope and my life and my future. He has all of the comfort of God that he is ready to give me. Jesus' comfort is better than Bluebell ice cream. And I love Bluebell. Rocky Road makes me feel good. <laughs> right? Jesus' comfort is better and bigger. That's the gospel. Lean on him. I don't have to be defined by loss of self-control or binge-watching or excessive exercise, whatever I do to numb my sin and my pain. I don't have to be defined by that. That's the gospel. The daily gospel is that in the middle of my pain, discomfort, uh, un unknowable uh, um, difficulties and how I'm struggling with handling pain in my life, the good news of the gospel is that God is better and Jesus has made a way and he secured everything I have and in him is the comfort that I need in this life. And I need to preach that to myself all the time. I am his child. Who am I? I am who you say I am. And I am his child. That's the gospel. That's where the gospel is in that story. I can be thankful for the cross that when I get home from Captain Jerkboss, remember his name, I can be thankful that for the cross, and when I get home, because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in me, I can have self-control. And if I don't have self-control now, I can pray for the, the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. I can pray for that to, have, to be true in my life. And I have hope that Jesus is changing my soul toward that. That's the gospel. And I can have hope that God is going to deliver me from this one day, and there's going to be finally one day when I'm done with it. That's the gospel. That's future hope in the gospel and because of the gospel there is no condemnation I don't have to beat myself up for binge watching or binge eating or yelling at people it's not my job to pass condemnation on me and Jesus there is no condemnation that's the gospel false guilt isn't the point of this sermon today freedom in Jesus is the gospel in Jesus is there's no condemnation. He cast my sins as far as the east is from the west. He forgave me so that I could repent and ask for forgiveness. That's the gospel. So when you have that day with Captain Jerkboss and everything's falling apart and you blow it, remember the gospel. And Paul says, guard the gospel. Don't just pass on the mechanics of how you come to know Jesus and a prayer, a canned prayer that you're supposed to pray. Don't pass, that's, that's part of the gospel. That ain't the whole deal. The gospel is daily living in Jesus. Guard it. Pass it on. That's what we're supposed to pass on. Doctrine, good doctrine that matters for life in the gospel. And you're like, easy, got it, done, ready to go. This can't be that hard. 
I'm ready to live on forever through mentoring, discipling, and giving my faith away to somebody else like Paul did and like Jesus did. I'm not going to read it again, but verses 15 through 18, he recounts these people who have walked away. Later in the book, he talks about a man named Demas who also walked away from his ministry, from his teaching, from his faith that he was trying to pass on. Aren't you glad that that's in this book? (laughs) If you've ever tried to disciple people and they've walked away, it is so good to know that Paul had people that walked away. Isn't it good to know that Jesus had one that walked away? So some of us use that as an excuse to not do it. I know that if I give myself away to people and I disciple people and I try to live on forever through them, they'll disappoint me. They'll walk away. They'll hurt my feelings. Yes. Yeah, they will. Because they're still people. They're still working through stuff. I'm so glad that God includes the story of Paul having people walk away. Now, one of the things we need to remember is that past failure isn't a guarantee of future failure. I even wonder this. Does Paul look at this like a failure? Did Jesus look at Judas like a failure? Should we look at those kinds of things in our lives as failures? I would say this. Whether it's your children or people who you're mentoring, discipling, they have to choose to follow Christ every day. They have to choose to run after Jesus on their own, and they might choose to walk away. I'm not called to choose for them or to wrestle them into a lifelong faith. I'm called to love them and to disciple them and to pour my faith into them. We don't determine their choices, but we do determine the culture of Christianity that they grow up in. You get that? Is, our, is my brand of transferred Christianity healthy, compelling, and appealing to the people that I'm responsible for? Is it genuine and real and joyful and humble and courageous and loving? Paul passes on his faith to Timothy, to Lois, and to Eunice, and to these other people whose names I don't want to read again. <laughs> right? He passes it on to the people that come with him and he passes it on to the people that walk away. The people that walk away have to be entrusted to God for their renewal or their judgment. That's not on you. What's on you is will you walk faithfully to disciple them for as long as you can in every way that you can to give them a living faith of the daily gospel. That's what we're called to do. Paul had his troubles. Christ had his guys that walked away. So will you and I. We're going to wrap it up. Who in your life is just barely hanging on? Life has gotten hard for them. They're hanging on by a thin string of faith, and they need their faith rekindled. They need that, that ember that's about to die of faith in Jesus fanned into a flame who are you passing on your faith to we are passing through this life and we're going to leave something behind I can remember when Jenna tried out for volleyball in 7th grade so she hadn't played volleyball organized volleyball before I think we'd hired effectively a friend of ours to come in to teach her how to play volleyball 
Um, she had never played before, so she worked on some stuff. She goes to tryouts. She was at Reading Junior High. I think 5,000 little girls tried out for volleyball. There were hundreds. It was so many. So as a parent, parents, you're, you want her to succeed, and she enjoys it. And all her friends, her little circle of friends, they're all going to go play volleyball. So you just desperately are praying, God, please let her make the team. Please let her make the team, right? Um, she, uh, the way they do it there, I think on the Friday of tryouts, they get a letter uh, all the kids get a letter and they have to wait till they're off campus to open it and in that letter it says you have made a team and she rocked that jersey man that little volleyball jersey then she goes on to soccer her varsity sophomore year at school man she was on the varsity team and number 17 running around out there Jordan goes on to college plays basketball at junior college the Roadrunners. Number 13, he's a scrawny little white guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you remember Jordan, but he was kind of dripping wet about 165 or so in high school and early college, and he goes to play. And then he killed it. He earns a scholarship there, and he goes on to play at another university. You know, we always stress to our kids when they went to go get that jersey that the most important thing that there was for them to do was that they be leaders. To work hard with excellence at what they did and to use whatever position of influence they had to lead other people really well and to show Jesus to others. Often, through very difficult and unpleasant circumstances. Four years down the road for each of them, you know, they turn those jerseys in. Somebody else wears those numbers now. And those colors. And they're gone, my kids are out of there, and it's somebody else's responsibility to carry on those traditions and that excellence in their programs. This idea really began to resonate with me, this sports and jerseys. We love sports, and I love sports, and my kids do. On staff, we're reading a book called Legacy. It's about the All Blacks rugby team. If you know rugby at all in New Zealand, they're amazing. And they changed their culture. They had lost for decades. And they changed their culture, and for the last 30 years, the the All Blacks have been the dominant rugby club in the world, in the world, for 30 years, placing no less than fourth place in world competitions in 30 years, winning four of them, top two like eight times. They're, they're amazing. They changed their culture. And one of the things that they changed their culture with was this idea, leave the jersey in a better place than when you got it. When you turn that jersey in, when you pass that on to the next generation, you leave it in a better place than when you got it. So I want to summarize what we're talking about today. Help me connect with it. Maybe it'll help you. Paul's words to Timothy. Timothy, you've been given three jerseys. Your skin, and I mean this, your church, and Christianity. And you're going to leave all of them behind one day somebody else is going to pick up where you left off. I want you to leave each of them in a better place than when you got it. So in your skin, Timothy, you have Lois and Eunice and these close relationships that are going to be in your life that this body interacts with on a regular daily basis. That's one of the jerseys you wear and you're going to pass that on someday. 
leave that in a better place than when you got it. Timothy, I'm giving you the jersey of pastor in Ephesus. I'm passing that jersey on to you. You're going to pass it on to someone else. And when you're at church, Timothy, and you're loving these people and you're living life with them, I want you, when you leave this place, the church, first church at Ephesus, I want you to leave that in a better place than when you got it. Timothy, I want you to think about Onesiphorus. And I want you to think about this, Timothy. There's going to be two millennia of believers, other Christians, who are going to read about your ministry. You have a ministry to the church, to the kingdom of God, Timothy. And when you leave that behind, I want you to leave it in a better place than when you got it. What about you and me? We have our skin jerseys. That's our family, the people that has placed us with 24-7 to live out our Christian values with and our heart change with, our heart change with. We've been changed in here. Not just do good. Don't pass along moralism. A heart change following loving of Jesus Christ. We have our skin jersey. We have our church jersey. That's here. That's TSF for most of us. There have been so many guys who have already come here and passed the jersey on to you. We're only 12 and a half years old, 13 years old. There have been so many people who have come through here and they've passed the jersey on to me and you. And we're better because of their time with us. Amen? Liz and Vivek, the Zodis, the Bariskis, Whitney Smith, the Landrys, the Parkers, they're still here, the Harringtons, the Caskies, the Franks, the Martinez's, Christy Gardner, the Gidrys, Lori Levin, the Murphs, I think Mindy Sanders, the Villanuevas, They've come before you. They have a jersey, and we're in the process of handing that off. Passing off to you and others who aren't here yet a great church that loves Christ and wants to follow him. We're all going to be gone someday. Are you going to leave TSF in a better place than when you got here? When you pass your jersey on to somebody else at the sanctuary, guys, listen, you have this chance right now We're looking right now at a place where we're going to worship and be for maybe a long time. I need you to start praying about that and knowing that we're going to pass something on even physically to somebody someday. We want to do it in a way that honors the Lord. Then Christianity, the kingdom of God, the work of God. You've been given a jersey there, a responsibility there. Mentoring someone, our Thrive ministry, better than with our students. There's some organic ministry that's happening. Some of us can sit here and go, amen, I want to pass my jersey on, but you're not doing anything about it. Don't be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. God has already sent somebody who needs you to pour your life into them. Some other Christian who needs you for the sake of the kingdom for you to pour their lives into them. You can talk to me, uh, Pastor Jared, the Vans, the Gidrys, uh, sorry, the Gutierrez's, the Novikovs. Um, we would be happy to point you to people who could use you speaking into their lives. The kingdom of God needs you pouring into other people. Will the jersey be in a better place than when you got it, when you leave it to somebody else? Pericles said this, what you leave behind is not what's engraved on stone monuments, but it's woven into the lives of other people. What you leave behind is not engraved in the monuments of stone, but what you leave woven into the lives of other people. Would you guys bow your heads and close our eyes? Fan the flame of faith and gifts. God has given you gifts. 
He's given you a faith, and that sometimes can die out. That fire can just sort of want to go out with a puff of smoke because life is hard and things get difficult. Fan it into a flame. Fan it into a flame. Holy Spirit, right now, pray that prayer. I feel that flame dying. I need you to breathe life into my faith and breathe life into me so that that I can serve other people well and I can give away the faith that you've given me. Who needs the, the power of the gospel in their lives every day? Like that silly scenario we talked about earlier, but you have that life too. Hard things, difficulty, and we don't respond well all the time. Are you guarding the gospel? Are you passing along the gospel, the daily gospel? God, who in my life needs the gospel? They need to see it in me. They need to know when life is hard and I'd rather yell or drink or eat or watch too much. God, they need to know that the gospel lives in me and they can have the same gospel. Last thing, what jerseys do you have? What jerseys has God given you? You know you're going to leave them behind. You realize that. Will it be in a better place than when you got it? Sometimes that means that jersey is dirty and covered with blood and ripped and torn because you fought hard, right? Sometimes it's clean because you wanted to spend your life living in holiness, you know, and God's done some amazing things in you to just rescue you from sin. Whatever it is, you're going to pass that jersey on to somebody. Will it be in a better place than when you got it? Father, I pray this would be true for us, that Paul had his Timothy, Lois and Eunice had their Timothy, Paul and Timothy had their Onesiphorus and the church in Ephesus, God. You've given us somebody somewhere. You've given us gifts and a, 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 a flame of faith in our hearts. Father, I pray that we don't waste any of it. We take the time that we have right now to pass along our jersey to somebody else, our faith in a way that makes sense. And God, that's one way we have this eternal life in you. In heaven, our souls with you, our character, the godliness that we leave behind lives on in other people. Use us, use our church to pass along the faith like that. In your name we pray, amen.